Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Many PhDs are worried about leaving academia, and they'll ask me a variety of questions. So, for example, sometimes people will ask me, you know, how easy is it to get back into academia from industry? The question implies a worry that they won't really like their non-academic job. Other people really want to know with 100% assuredness that they will love their non-academic job. So they'll ask something like, how do I know which job will be right for me? Or how will I know if I'll like the job? You know, they want to know before they make the leap that where they're going to land is going to provide them with the career satisfaction. And they want to know that without a shadow of a doubt. Occasionally, I'll hear from PhDs who've worked in a non-academic job before going to graduate school, and they'll use that one or two jobs that they had before or that career they had before as evidence that they have to stay in academia. So I didn't like X job, I just hated it, so that's why I came to graduate school, and now I love what I do, so I want to stay in higher education. And then finally, there's a different set of people. These are PhDs who have already left academia and landed a non-academic role and they just don't like their job. Sometimes they'll romanticize their time in academia, typically graduate school, because being an adjunct is often quite horrible. But they'll focus on the things that they loved, like being surrounded by like-minded people or their time in the classroom, or they'll miss geeking out on their subject matter. And of course, at Beyond Prof, we always highlight people who successfully made the career transition and found jobs where they're thriving. But that's not always the case, let's be honest. So today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about what happens if you don't like your non-academic job. To start this conversation, I want to I want to think about shame and unrealized goals and expectations. One of the main reasons PhDs struggle when they first land a non-academic job is that they feel embarrassed or ashamed that they failed at their academic careers. For many PhDs, Leaving academia is kind of similar to losing your faith. So when you're in a religious uh, community and you believe what you are being taught or told, um, and this is particularly true of like Christianity, although it's it's true for other religions, um, there's a lot of stories or mythology that you learn as truth. So, And part of that mythology informs your past, your present, and your future. Uh, and so, for example, if you you know believe in a Christian theology, there's a belief in like heaven or hell, or there's a belief that there is a plan for you and that you need to like, that God knows everything and that you're going to follow God's plan or those kinds of things. Um, and then when you le- leave the f- your faith, suddenly everything you've been told shifts. All the things that you thought were true seem no longer true. And what you thought was right and wrong, you might not no longer have such a clear distinction between what you now think is right or what you now think is wrong. Your value system really shifts. And um, you also have this perception of the future, right? Like what is death and what comes after death? Well, when you lose your faith, suddenly your future looks very different. And so it's incredibly destabilizing because, again, it makes you question your past, your present, and your future. 
leaving academia for many PhDs is very similar. And so our sense of identity about the, what we, why we were doing what we were doing, the suffering and sacrifice that we put into earning our degrees, the, the present, where, where we're at right now, begins to, to make less sense. And then the future that we thought we were going to build ourselves disappears. And so suddenly you're sitting there with very shifting sands and you're trying to recreate a sense, you're trying to make sense of your past, build your future, um, and also live in the present. And it's a very destabilizing process. Part of this process also has to do with shame. Um, there's the shame that we didn't achieve what we set out to achieve and that we've let people down or that other people will judge us. So I grew up in a tiny rural town in southern Alberta. And the best and brightest out of the local high school, many of us went to university, but mostly uh, we focused on earning bachelor's degrees or professional degrees. Like no one did a PhD and they certainly weren't going to do a PhD in history. So I was very, very weird. I was an anomaly in this town. In fact, I actually remember people actively discouraging me from doing a PhD and insisting that if I wanted to do something, like if I wanted to go to school for that long, that's actually what someone told me. If you want to go to school for that long, I want to just become a lawyer or a medical doctor. And I was like, no, because I really like, I love history and I want to be a history professor. Uh, so what I was doing was so misaligned with the world I grew up in that it was almost like a form of rebellion. And every time I went home in the summer, I'd run into people because it's a small town who I knew growing up and they would ask what I was up to. And I, I was so proud and probably a little bit smug. Uh, about the fact that I was in the U.S. earning a Ph.D. at a big American school. And that was going to be my future. And it was my ticket out of this t- small town. And I was going to matter. And, you know, I had a lot of, a um, lot, lot riding on the success of this Ph.D. And I think this is true for lots of people, especially those of us that are coming out of, you know, working class backgrounds. So when I didn't land an academic job, I was embarrassed. And I felt so much shame. Not only did I not know what I was going to do next, which is an awful feeling, But worse, I had to say something to all of these people who had known me since I was little about why I had failed. And even to this day, when I go home and bump into someone who I knew like a long time ago now, growing up, they'll say, oh, Marin, where are you teaching? You became a professor, right? And so where do you teach? What school are you at? And I have to still say like, oh, no, I decided to go in a different direction. And now I run a small startup and I explain what I do. But honestly, it took years for that to feel authentic. It it took years for that to stop feeling like a twinge of regret or embarrassment or shame. Um, And it was hard because, you know, the life that I imagined for myself, which, you know, when you're depressed and anxious and uncertain about your future, you begin to romanticize uh, what this future life was going to look like. And we also romanticize the past, right? That this was better probably than it actually was. I remember talking to my friend Harry once, who also transitioned out of academia, and it, he he mentioned this too. Like it, he felt so much shame about his first non-academic job uh, that he, you know, had a, actually had a hard time making eye contact with people when they asked him what he did, because again, he was so proud of his accomplishments, so proud of of achieving his PhD. Uh, and and really wanting to be a faculty member that that and he felt like, of course, being a faculty member or a professor and academic had some sort of cachet. And and he believed that, and then he didn't get it. And he felt embarrassment and shame that he was ending up in a job that he didn't actually need his PhD for. And he he's talked quite openly about that. And so I know this isn't just unique to me, that there is this moment of shame. So this period where you're leaving academia and you're beginning to uh, build a new career for you, 
it's actually really quite painful. Um, and you have to just give this time. Like I said, you know, it's, it's like losing your faith. It's you losing your identity. It's ma- trying to re- make sense out of your past, your present, and your future. And it's also telling a story to the world of people who knew what you were up to about this quote-unquote failure. It's not you, right? It isn't actually you. There just are not enough jobs for all the talented people. Like it's, it's math. It's not you. But it feels like you. And so it just takes time to just work through all of that junk in order to process it, in order to be able to reimagine what you did, all that suffering and sacrifice that you put into your PhD, and then, you know, where you're moving to next and and your place in the world. And it's just going to take time. I was talking with my friend Asia the other day, who actually listens to the podcast, Hello Asia. And we met while we were doing our undergraduate back at the University of Lethbridge. And recently, we were just laughing and talking about how our lives look so different now than what we had planned for ourselves when we were in our 20s drinking sugary lattes at Starbucks. And in this conversation, she said something that really struck me. She said, you know, it's fine that my life didn't turn out as I'd planned at 25 because like, what did I know of the world at 25? And that's not to be dismissive of those of you who are younger in your 20s or 30s. It's just to remind ourselves that our lives are not always going to look like how we imagine when we started out on our journey to earn our PhDs, things change. There are economic recessions and now a global pandemic. Like the world looks really different and the economy looks really different than it did even 18 months ago. You couldn't have seen that coming. There are collapsing industries and cutbacks. You couldn't have seen that coming. You know, over your 20s and 30s, you meet people. Often you partner or unpartner with people. So maybe you met somebody and or maybe you're divorcing somebody. You know, your your personal lives will rapidly change. And the things that maybe didn't matter to you so much, like maybe you needed to get to the other side of the continent from your family because holy heck, they drove you nuts. And now your parents are aging and you're feeling like maybe you need to be closer to them. Like so much changes over the course of our lives that it is okay that the life you thought you were going to have, that you imagined at 20 or 25 or 28 or 29 or 30, doesn't end up being the life that you're going to have because so much about our world and lives just change, right? The John Lennon song, you know, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And there's just so much truth to that. So all, all, of, this is to, all of this is to say, take time to mourn the loss of your identity, but don't let that loss to find who you are in the future, right? There's a period where you have to shed who you were, but you don't always want to be looking backwards. You, want to be, you don't want to be defined as an ex-historian or an ex-academic. You need to shed that, lose that, process that, mourn that, and then begin the process of rebuilding. And that will just take time. Think about how long it took you to feel confident as an academic, as an expert in your field. It might take you a similar long time to become an expert in your new field and feel confident in the career path that you're moving down next. So secondly, lots of people end up not liking their first non-academic job. So it's perfectly normal. And, but don't let that stop you. I could tell you 15 stories right now about PhDs I've worked with who ended up dramatically changing careers after their first non-academic job, some really quickly within the first couple of months. At Beyond Prof, we've identified four stages of career transition, which I've talked about in an, in an earlier uh, podcast. And you can find more information about the, um, the assessment tool and the four stages of PhD career transition on our website. So there are four stages that PhDs move through when they begin to leave academia and move into a non-academic career. 
Stage one is what we call the discover stage, which is where you identify your optimal career pathway. That's what we call it at Beyond Prof, which is a metric by which you can measure future opportunities. From there, you'll move into the research stage. This is where you'll compare and contrast different career options. So maybe project management, digital marketing, UX research, whatever. You'll come up with three or four careers that sound interesting that you want to learn more about, and you'll begin to gather research about what these career paths entail on a day-to-day basis, what motivates and energizes people in those jobs, and then you'll, you'll figure out which one seems to be most promising for you. And then you'll move into the implementation stage And at that stage, this is when you actively apply for a job in one area of interest. So you're going to begin to actively apply for just digital marketing. You're going to say, that's where I'm going to go next. And I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to just try and get a career started in this new field. I'm going to read myself into this field. I'm going to network with other digital marketers. I'm going to get some internships or opportunities or side hustles. That's where I'm moving to next. And then you'll land your first non-academic job. That's when you move into the builder stage. This is the stage where you'll gather more information about professional work and you'll learn a ton about yourself. So at the research stage, great, you're just gathering evidence and then you're going to implement that job search based on the evidence that you've gathered. You're just going to make an informed career decision about what you'd like to try next, but it's just an informed decision. It's not a lifelong commitment. It's a hypothesis. So you really need to think about the job search um, as a research stage, like as a research process, where you're going to be constantly gathering evidence and evaluating that evidence and making newest, new, coming to new conclusions, basically, about where you're going to move next based on the evidence that you now have. So if you think about, again, the beginning of your dissertation or your research, the little information you had And then at the end of the project, how much more research you had and how much more you knew, well, it's going to be the same thing for your job. It's going to be like, okay, this is how much I know about myself. This is how much I know about professional work. This is what I'm going to try next. Now I'm gathering information and I'm going to evaluate that and I'm going to try something else. Or this is great. This is working out, but actually, you know, I hate my manager, so I'm going to try something else. Or I don't really like this this business, so I'm going to go work in this other organization. You can make those kinds of decisions and at the builder stage, you don't have to have everything figured out before you leave academia. In fact, you can't. You cannot have everything you've figured out before you leave academia because there's just so much more to learn and know about yourself in the professional world. And that's why they call it experiential learning. You have to have the experiences in order to continue to learn. So give yourself time, gather evidence, reflect, think about it. And then if you decide that, like, yeah, actually, I hate my non academic job, Marin then it's time to think about why. So you've given it some time, you, you recognize that you're over the loss of your academic identity and these are not the things that are keeping you from being happy in your career. You actually just really don't like the job. So the number one reason why people don't like their jobs is because of a bad manager. And there's lots of research out there about this and how to be a better manager, but you might just have a really crappy manager. Now, it could be that the person you work for is objectively a bad manager or a terrible boss. Like, they're just a jerk. They bully and belittle others. They don't have leadership skills. They're a poor communicator. Maybe they yell at people. No matter who they supervise, it's always going to be a toxic situation. Like, literally, no one could work for that person. They just have a terrible management style. They should never be in a leadership position. So if you arrive on that, like it's time to go, right? It's time to get a new job um, and test whether or not your skills or the career pathway that you're on will be okay for you in a different environment. So like, is it your, 
is it, think about your advisor, right? Was it your advisor that made your life terrible or did you have a good advisor? The difference between a good advisor and a bad advisor in an academic career it can make or break a graduate student's life. And the same thing is, is true for your manager. If they're awful, it's always going to be toxic. They have no business having students. In this case, they have no business having employees and it's time to leave. Now, it could be that they're a bad manager just for a certain type of person. So maybe it's just a misalignment between what you need and what you're getting from your manager. Maybe the manager is more casual or hands-off and you actually would prefer more structure and feedback. So if, if it's your manager and they're, it's not because they're a terrible person, but just a mismatch between their style and what you need, you know, then you can have conversations with other people in the company about how you can maybe get more support or more uh, over, you know, feedback. Um, from someone else in the company, or maybe you can switch to a different team. There might be options for you within the organization that you can pursue. If it's not possible to switch managers, then yes, it's time to move to a new company and start a new job. And while you're job searching, you can say like, what I'm looking for is a manager who will help me in these ways. I'm looking for a company that has a certain kind of leadership style. And the leadership style is this. Because of that experience where there was a misalignment between you and the manager, you'll have a better idea about what kind of manager you're looking for in your next role. And just remember that like, it's just one data point, right? You didn't like that person. It's not that you didn't like your career field or that you have to go back to academia. It's just like that person was a bad fit for you. Maybe it's the company culture. Like maybe you really like Cheryl, but you just can't stand the company culture. Maybe it's too focused on sales and revenue and you'd rather be at more of a mission-driven organization. Now, you can assume that you never want to work for a for-profit company again because you didn't like that environment. But again, that's just one data point. That's just one company. Uh, what you know is that you didn't like that culture at that company. And you, you, know, you can't write off the entire industry or sector, but now you have more information. So I'm looking for a manager who's um, responsive, who's a strong communicator, and I'm looking for an opportunity in a company that's mission-focused. Um, you know, yes, revenue is important, but I don't always want to be reminded about the bottom line. Like I want my work to make an impact and that's what's really motivating you. Uh, so that's what you can say when you're doing informational interviews to find a better fit, better company culture or a better manager. I mean, just to give you an example, like at Beyond Prof, we're a very small team. There's two of us full-time and there are three part-time people. And we all really get along and like each other. I hope if you're listening to the podcast, hope so. But our company is just super fast-paced and agile. It, as we're examining or exploring challenges or opportunities, we'll discuss lots of options. And then I'll reflect on those for a while, talk to the team some more because I really like a collaborative environment. I want people to tell me like, Marin, that's a terrible idea. Let's do that. Let's do this instead. Or, you know, I was thinking about what you said the other day and I think we should try this. So we're super collaborative. We're always trying to find solutions to problems and we're super agile and we're super fast-paced. Um, and sometimes we'll pivot within a week or two, like we'll come up with an idea and then we'll think about that strategy for a minute. We'll be like, oh, actually, no, nah, we got to do this thing that's totally different. So let's do this instead. This isn't a culture for everyone. Like if you like structure and a clear set of standards and plans, like you don't want to work at Beyond Prof. And we all do 15 different things. We're chronically short staffed, but my team actually thrives on the creative energy and agility of the organization and the opportunity to develop a range of skills. And they know that if they, if they want to take on a project or a task, like I'll probably say, yes, thank you, do that. So it's an opportunity to really, you know, learn more about their skills, um, build an organization that they believe in, work in a super fast paced creative culture that's very flat um, and where they have a lot of autonomy. 
But again, that's not for everyone. And we've had to let people go, not because they weren't great, but because it was just a poor cultural fit. They were incredibly frustrated and they weren't excelling in their job. And that's terrible for the organization and it's terrible for the person. So then finally, maybe you actually just really hate the work. You're like, I thought I wanted to be a digital marketer and I hate this. Like, I don't want to think about these problems anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so that's totally fine to realize that, right? You, you made an informed decision, you tried something, and now you're, you got to start over. So it's time to go back to the beginning of those four stages of the career transition. And it's time to start at the discovery stage again. This time, you won't just be evaluating your academic work experience. You'll also be evaluating your non-academic work experience and really identifying like what you loved and don't love about your work. Um, And, you know, you can, we have a course called Know Your Options that can help you work through this. And then through that process, you'll identify new career fields. Then you'll go and research those new career fields. You'll gather more information about what you'd like to do next. And you'll try something different. You'll begin to apply for new jobs. It can take you a couple of tries before you land in a place where you're going to thrive, but I I know you can get there. So I think the real takeaway from this podcast is that it's going to take time to find a career where you're going to thrive, and it's going to take research and evaluation over and over again over the course of your career to make sure that where you're working is a great match for your talent and skills and interests and a good alignment for your values. And those might change, you know, as you as you shift your priorities, as you um, discover and learn more about yourself, things might change. So a job that was once a good fit might cease to be a good fit. Uh, So you just need to really be open to opportunities and um, agile, as we like to say, you know, an ability to take data and make fast decisions based on that information that you're getting. So give yourself time, be compassionate to yourself, reflect, research, And know that when you find the right career alignment for you, it will feel fantastic. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.